Chapter 7 of Cherry Ames Island Nurse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anita Sloma Martinez. Cherry Ames Island Nurse by Helen Wells. Chapter 7 Island Nurse. It was the middle of the afternoon when Cherry finally went downstairs to lunch. Sir Ian was in an agitated state and refused point-blank to go to bed and rest. Dr. Mackenzie, or Dr. Mack as everyone called him on Balfour, was friendly but firm, shooed everyone away but Cherry, and got Sir Ian into bed. By that time Sir Ian was glad to go, for he had too much pain to stir about. Dr. Mack gave him medication to relieve any acid condition in his stomach. Cherry gave him a feeding of milk and cream, to which he reacted well. Between little twitches of pain, Sir Ian complained and grumbled. He had come back, he said, to look after his minds, and how was he going to do it, if some young whipper-snapper of a doctor and a mere lass of a nurse kept him in bed? Couldn't they see that everything was at sixes and sevens on the island? Dr. Mack listened gravely, nodding in agreement to everything the mine-owner said. "'Weel, why don't you say something, Mackenzie?' Sir Ian burst out at last in exasperation. The doctor grinned, his face wrinkling in amusement. "'Why, sir, you didn't give me a chance,' he replied. "'Weel, then, why didn't you stop me?' demanded the other irascibly. "'No, you sat bobbing your head like a silly nuthatch, pecking open a nut. "'And you, Cherry, what was the matter with you?' "'I agreed with Dr. Mack's unvoiced opinion.' "'Cherry said primly. "'It was better to let you get it off your chest. "'Perhaps now you'll settle down and get some rest.' "'Yar, red-cheeked tyrant,' Sir Ian accused her. "'You wait. When I get well, I'll show you who's boss.' "'Unless you quit upsetting yourself over things you can do nothing about,' said Dr. Mack, "'you are going to lie there and be a milksop. "'Isn't that correct, Miss Ames?' "'Absolutely, doctor,' Cherry agreed with vigor. "'Ought never to get sick,' grumbled Sir Ian, turning his head aside and closing his eyes. "'Lose your independence. Have to do as you're bid.' Sir Ian pretended to sleep for a while. When the pain left, he began to doze. The trip had tired him. "'Call me at the hospital,' Dr. Mack told Cherry on leaving, "'if you need me for anything. But I'll be back later anyway to see how he is.' Cherry sat alone with Sir Ian for a while longer. Then Meg peeked in to say that she would relieve her. "'You must have lunch, Cherry,' Meg told her. "'Lloyd and I had ours ages ago. Then he went down to the mines. I'll stay with Father. I had Higgins lay a place in the dining-room and keep the chops warm. If you don't like lamb chops, just tell Higgins, and he'll have Tess, that's the cook, fix you something you do like.' Robert Higgins was the family's butler. "'Thank you, Meg.' "'A lamb chop will do nicely,' Cherry assured her. "'I'll not take long.' Cherry left, going into her own room across the hall for a moment to freshen up. The family's bedroom and the guest rooms were all on the second floor. Cherry's room was on the northeast corner of the house, overlooking the cliffs above a great cave called Rogue's Cave in the cliffside. From the east windows, Cherry had a magnificent view of the cliffs and the sea. On the north, 
the windows looked out over the island and on to the big hill where iron ore had first been discovered on the island and the first mine located well over a hundred years ago that mine had been worked out and abandoned long ago the top of the hill where the entrance to the mine shaft had once been was grown over now with bushes and vines cherry stood for a minute gazing at the scene then walked down the long hall down the curving staircase to the centre hall below where portraits of generations of barclays looked down upon her some were grim and stern others smiled aloofly meg resembled one of the ladies very much the difference was in the dress which told cherry that meg would have had to be a hundred and fifty years old to have posed for the artist this way miss ames higgins said suddenly appearing in front of her the butler was old-fashioned and formal without being stiff he had served the barclays since meg's father was a young man and his father and his grandfather before him had been butlers to the barclays higgins led cherry across the hall past the west drawing-room and into the dining-room filled with heavy mahogany and teak furniture as he was serving her lunch she asked higgins why is the cave in the cliff below my windows called rogue's cave i heard from my granda that it was once a hideout for smugglers miss ames he answered oh what do they smuggle brandy and whiskey for traders who exchanged them with the indians for furs higgins said shaking his head in disapproval does anyone ever go spelunking i mean does anybody go exploring the cave asked cherry helping herself to more of the chutney for the lamb not that i know of miss ames he replied not far inside anyway since serian that is the old serian the present serian's father and miss meg's grandfather was a boy my da said that the boy was lost for three days in rogue's cave delirious when they found him on the beach raving of gold and silver and crying open sesame of course the boy's head was filled with tales of adventure for all he was a little scientist a scientist cherry asked ay my da was fond of telling me how little sir ian used the room at the top of the tower for his experiments higgins told her he was always crushing stones and melting things down in his little furnace at the same time he liked to imagine himself a barbary pirate a prince of araby an indian chief or whatever struck his fancy when he wasn't mixing and boiling and cooking his chemical formulas he must have been a very unusual and imaginative boy cherry commented he was that miss ames higgins agreed then he would sit up there in the tower he motioned in the general direction of the square stone tower at the end of the house writing in what he called his secret journal by candlelight at night it would be fascinating to see what he wrote cherry said perhaps sir ian might let me look at the journal no one but the boy ever laid eyes on it to anyone's knowledge replied higgins he kept it hidden away then i dare say by the time he returned from schooling in scotland he had forgot all about it for my dad told me that the master of barclay house never spoke of it more once he took up the management of the mines so no one ever saw it said cherry that's too bad ay but the tower room is almost the same now as when the old sir ian was a boy the butler told her the present sir ian never disturbed anything for he was not interested in experiments 
he was concerned only about operating the mines having finished her lunch cherry thanked higgins for his interesting conversation and went upstairs through the open door of sir ian's room meg's and her father's voices floated down the hall the acoustics were such that the hallway acted as an amplifier and cherry could hear more distinctly than if she were in the room with them da dear you mustn't be cross with aunt phyllis meg was saying i had the money so i offered it to her she's terribly broke and in debt it's so frightfully expensive living in london and having the two boys off in school she has a dreadful time she just can't make ends meet never could a sieve as far as money is concerned observed sir ian my sister phyllis is the spoiled baby of the family she's been a widow long enough ought to get married again solve all her problems meg laughed suppose she picked a poor man then you would be in the soup wouldn't you you'd have to support her husband too sir ian grunted and that younger brother of mine your uncle george you saw him in london he wanted me to give him another advance on his income no doubt he said well da the mines haven't been paying a great deal for several years meg pointed out uncle george has always been used to living like a gentleman of wealth and now he hasn't enough income to cover his expenses he keeps falling behind a little more each year just like aunt phyllis sir ian grunted again your uncle george might quit living like a gentleman of wealth a playboy to put it more accurately and go to work he remarked dryly i don't suppose you could let aunt phyllis and uncle george have some money to tide them over could you da meg pleaded not a penny her father said with finality haven't got it to give they'll have to whistle for it somewhere else this time although cherry could not help overhearing their conversation she did not like to be eavesdropping on the barclays family affairs money problems were always embarrassing to people sir ian's younger brother and sister she gathered expected to live in luxury in england on income from their shares in the balfour mines apparently out of the present barclay family the only one who was really interested in mines was lloyd meg had told her that lloyd's father and mother had lived at barclay house until their death in an earthquake when they were on a trip to the pacific islands six years before lloyd's father was next in age to sir ian who was the eldest in the family the two brothers had divided the operation of the mines between them they had made a wonderful team and his brother's death had been a terrible blow to sir ian i admire his courage trying to carry on alone cherry thought sir ian's brother and sister are actually dependent on his operating the mines and they're always wanting money goodness knows how many other difficulties the poor man has i don't wonder he has ulcers maybe lloyd will be of help to him if sir ian will let him that's the thing cherry entered her own room and going into the bathroom washed her hands making a great splash of water so they would know that she had come upstairs when she came out meg was just getting up from her chair in sir ian's bedroom here's cherry meg said so i'll run along to the library da i promised to take over the story hour every afternoon is there anything you want me to bring you from the village can't think of anything replied her father suppose you're going to stop by the hospital too 
trying to make me blush you old fraud cried meg making a face at him you know perfectly well douglas mackenzie m d is coming here later and he's staying on for dinner she blew a kiss to her father from the doorway and was gone the rest of the afternoon was quiet higgins brought cherry tea about six o'clock she had had lunch too late to eat anything although the little cakes and sandwiches looked very tempting at six thirty lloyd came upstairs to look in on his uncle how's the old boy doing he whispered to cherry all right she whispered back he hasn't complained of pain for some time lloyd regarded cherry concernedly you must be worn out he observed you've lost all that lovely red in your cheeks don't you want to lie down and get some rest before dinner because you're going to have dinner with us downstairs i've already asked nora she's the housemaid to look in on uncle once in a while bossy type aren't you lloyd barclay cherry teased him i'm perfectly fine but i think i could do with some air after i've seen the doctor i will take a walk outside if i'm not needed doc's on his way up now lloyd said a few minutes later cherry had put on her brown suede jacket and gone outdoors for dr mackenzie had not kept her she had a chance to examine the big house it sat near the edge of the cliffs on the east but there were gardens at the back and a greenhouse on the west side there was a garage and more gardens in front were lawns and shrubbery two gate-posts although there was neither gate nor fence marked the entrance to the broad drive that curved before the front door the house was three stories high the tower was five stories meg had told her that the servants quarters were on the third floor toward the rear the tower interested cherry and she noticed that it could be entered from the outside there was a tiny door almost hidden by the masonry in the north wall on impulse cherry tried the door but it was locked she walked idly up the hill toward the abandoned mine beyond was a little patch of balsam fir but upon the rounded hill nothing grew but stiff grass vines and bushes among outcroppings of rock cherry was halfway up the hill when to her great surprise a man rose from one of the outcroppings and confronted her what are you doing here he demanded who are you my name is cherry ames i'm sir ian barclay's nurse she replied i'm out for a walk that's all he apologized gruffly i'm jock cameron he told her that name mean anything to you it certainly does cherry assured him you're the superintendent of the balfour mines and an old friend of sir ian in fact you and he grew up on balfour she paused now let's see oh yes the barclays and the camerons came over with forty families to settle balfour island in seventeen fifty the camerons had been the trusted stewards of the barclay lands for generations in scotland at first balfour island was a fishing colony then when iron was discovered in eighteen hundred and stop before the breath of you goes out interrupted jock cameron his manner becoming cordial you have heard of me i see that wheel jock cameron was a short stocky man dressed in fisherman's rough clothes a canvas tote-bag which served as his creel hung over his shoulder although he had no other fishing-gear with him he regarded cherry steadily for a bit 
then with a quick gesture he pushed his hat to the back of his head revealing bushy ginger hair tell me nurse lass how sick is he he asked suddenly sir ian was desperately sick when they brought him into the hospital at hilton cherry said he didn't tell me that in his letter mr cameron said i know he didn't cherry said i wrote that letter for him and mailed it he's better now he asked cherry nodded yes quite a bit better good jock cameron said nodding with satisfaction with that he turned quickly and started away then stopping and wheeling around he came back do not say to any one any one at all you saw old jock cameron on the hill this night he said softly promise ye'll not tell his eyes searched her face waiting for her answer what there was about the man that made her trust him suddenly cherry did not know but she heard herself saying i won't tell he seemed satisfied and turning once more walked away out of sight over the crest of the hill late that night cherry was to wonder if she had not been too hasty sir ian was asleep she had gone into her own room for a while she stood at the window thinking how lovely it was outside the fog had lifted the sky was clear and the stars were out a movement on the front lawn caught her eye at first she thought it was a large dog crossing the lawn close to the shrubbery upon reaching the wall near the corner of the house the figure raised up and she realized it was a man who had been running crouched over now he ran along hugging the wall and was soon out of her range of vision she had the impression though that the man was jock cameron End of chapter seven island nurse